So this morning we will take a look at Matthew chapter 19. We're continuing to study through the Gospel of Matthew and we come to chapter 19 today. And we're going to go ahead and jump right on in and start reading at verse 1. So Matthew 19 and verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, when you stop and and think about all the topics, all of the human relationship subjects that could have been recorded in the pages of the Bible, if you look at all the details of our lives, right, the topic of divorce is one that God indeed wanted us to come to an understanding of. He wanted us to know about it. And of course, we know that even though this topic is discussed in the Bible, it hasn't really changed the fact that divorce still exists as an epidemic in our world today. And Jesus will give us one of the main reasons in just a little bit here as to why there are so many divorces in our world today. But these Pharisees here are interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. Well, actually, they're testing him. But he's the Lord of all, and and they're going to hear what he has to say about this subject. Can a man divorce his wife, they say, for just any old reason, they're asking. And he answered them in verse 4, it says, And he answered them and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, let's pause right there again for a little while here, because the first thing that we can take note of here in this answer of Jesus is that man and woman were created at the very beginning. See, I bring this up because there's always a lot of debate about the age of the earth. Is it billions of years old or is it only thousands of years old. Of course, those that hold to the belief that the earth is billions of years old are typically, not always, but typically of the opinion that the earth was not created by a god, but rather that the earth simply came about as a result of a big bang or the evolution process. And mankind, of course, in that theory and that way of thinking would have descended from apes. And on the other hand, those of us that believe in God, the creator, in most cases, not all, but we would hold to the belief that the earth is really not that old after all. Jesus here places the time of creation as it refers to man and woman as being at the beginning, which of course would hold to the writings of the book of Genesis, which declare to us that all of creation took place in six days and God rested on the seventh day. But Jesus says here that at the beginning, God made male and female. Now, the truth is that 
this debate, this topic of creation versus evolution can go you know, on and on and has been going on for many, many years now. And it goes much deeper than what I'm addressing with you here this morning. But I'm simply pointing out to you that Jesus placed the time of creation of man and woman, male and female, to be at the beginning. And this would be the same and, you know, only beginning that there is talked about in the book of Genesis, that the book of Genesis documents for us. That's the beginning. But getting back now to the context of the question here of the Pharisees, Jesus is starting his answer here by making a very important point to us to understand, and that is, is that God made male and female for a specific purpose. He had a reason in his creation process to create a man and a woman. And the reason behind the creation of male and female was so that the two of them could be husband and wife. Now, of course, in our day and age, this topic is a big issue, isn't it? Today, people are beginning to live life in a different way than which God, the Creator, designed for it to be. And you know, there's nothing new to to that way of thinking or to that way of living. The fact is, is that people don't live their lives in a manner that is consistent with or obedient to the Word of God, the Holy Bible. So there's nothing new regarding that fact. People don't want to obey God. People have been disobeying the Word of God for centuries upon centuries, haven't they? And as a matter of fact, it really wasn't very long after the time of creation that mankind began to disobey the Word of God, the spoken Word of God. Today, mankind obeys the written Word of God. And in the beginning, mankind obeyed the spoken Word of God. And what is it called when someone disobeys the, the Word of God? In its simplest form, we break it down to the word sin, right? It's sin not to obey the Word of God, not to live in accordance with God's plan and God's design and be in obedience to His Word. And we know from the New Testament book of Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us can say that we are without sin. 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So as has always been the case, there are many sins that mankind is guilty of. And sin, but sin today seems to be more in our faces. In a sense, it seems to be waxing worse and worse, right? Sin today is becoming louder and prouder in its demonstration, in the way people behave. Turn with me in your Bibles, go ahead and mark this page, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want you to just look down with me and um, I'm going to start reading at verse 9. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, pause right there. That's what we're talking about here this morning, right? Sin, right? From, from the earliest time since creation, mankind fell into sin, unrighteousness, disobedience to God. And that sin, that unrighteousness presents a very big problem. And that problem is that an unrighteous person cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There is no place in heaven for the unrighteous, the the sinner. Let's read on. It says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there's a problem but there's also a solution to the problem. All have sinned, right? And it says there, such were some of you, such was I, right? But the answer is in the name of the Lord Jesus and being washed and being sanctified by the Spirit of God. That's the solution to the problem. But today, like I said earlier, sin seems to be waxing worse and worse and more louder and prouder, right? Sin has always been bad, but today it is literally, in some cases, paraded. They have parades of sin in the streets, right? People are standing proudly and boasting about their sin today. Look at verse 10 here again. Do you see where it mentions thieves and covetous and drunkards, revilers and extortioners? Do you think that there will ever be a thieves pride parade? We have other types of parade that parade sin, right? Pride parades that parade sin. Do you think there will ever be a thieves pride? I think people will someday all get together. Hey, let's all us thieves get together and be proud about being thieves and let's go have a parade. You know, let's go do that, right? When are we going to start to see the beginning of drunkards' pride parade? All the drunkards, let's go have a parade. Go down the streets and be proud of our drunkardness, right? Hey, all of you extortioners, let's get together and parade our pride in the streets. Go ahead and flip back to Matthew chapter 19. So you see, sin of all sorts is a problem. And remember what Paul said back then, such were some of you, such was I. We all have sinned. That's what we need to keep in mind. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is addressing though, the sin of divorce now, back in Matthew chapter 19. And again, they've asked him about divorce. And then in verse 4, he says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So again, he's, we're addressing the topic of marriage now and divorce. Then verse 5, 
he goes on to say, for this reason, what reason? The reason that they're male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For what reason? They're, because it's simple. They're male and they're female. God designed it. It's very natural. Those two are to be together. Okay? So, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now we get back to that divorce question here, right? This was God's intention with marriage. First of all, marriage is between a male and a female, as Jesus says back in verse 4. The two of them become one flesh in marriage. This is how God designed, and it's designed it, right? And it's the only way that a marriage can work. Now, of course, we know that in our society today, a law can be made that states that it's okay for a biological male and a biological male to be married and a biological female and a biological female to be married. But that's not the law of God. That's the law of sinful man. That's the law of mankind who sins and falls short of the glory of God, right? I mean, after all, look, a thief can be married to a thief, right? We, we, we read about thieves and extortioners and all that. They, a thief can be married to a thief. An adulterer can be married to an adulterer, right? An extortioner can be married to an extortioner. Fornicators are constantly getting married to one another, right? That's what my wife and I were before we got married. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We were all revilers, or I was a drunkard, right? Marrying each other, my wife and I. Then thank, thankfully the time came when we repented of our sin and came to the living God and were washed. We were sanctified by the Spirit of God. But God never intended. It's not in God's plan that we we were to be fornicators and drunkards and revilers. It's just the way that sin led us in. And God never intended anything other than for a male and a female to be married to each other. But the way of sin leads people away from the way of God. And all have sinned. I'm talking about myself here. I was led away from the way of God following in the way of sin. But I had to come to the solution. Okay, I had to come to the solution of being washed, being sanctified in Jesus Christ. God intended, though, that male and female would join together, be one, and then never separate until death did them part. That's God's intention for marriage. So now these men, these sinful men, these Pharisees go on in verse 7, and it says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? You see, at this point in time, these Pharisees thought here that, that Moses was greater than Jesus. They didn't know who they were talking to when they were talking to Jesus. They didn't realize that they were talking to the Lord of all at that moment. 
God in the flesh. And in verse 8 continues and says of Jesus that he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So here we see the core reason for divorce, and that's hardness of heart. People don't want to repent of their sin, whatever the sin may be. Pride, selfishness, discontentedness, lust, anger, malice, drunkenness, whatever it is, on and on it goes. There are so many reasons that people get divorced, but Jesus simplifies it down to one thing, and that is it's hardness of heart. It's hardness of heart. But here's the thing, though. In God's eyes, marriage was to always last, never to be separated as long as you both shall live. Sounds like what people say in the wedding ceremony, right? Till death do us part, as long as we both shall live. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So this is serious here, right? It's a serious male and female marriage. It's something that we have to take seriously. The marriage that God created in the beginning between male and female was to be the kind of marriage that is lasting, again, as long as we both shall live. And Jesus gives one reason here for divorce, and that is sexual immorality. Sex is the coming together of a male and a female in marriage. It's a commitment. Sexual immorality is any sex that is not between the husband, which is the male, and the wife, which is the female. And in God's eyes, sexual immorality is the end of a marriage, the one and only reason for divorce. So if you've been divorced and then you've remarried and the reason for your divorce was not sexual immorality, what do you do? Well, you do the same thing that all people who sin and fall short of the glory of God do. You repent from within your heart. You repent. You violated the word of God. And we need to be remorseful of that fact that we violate the word of God, whether it's sin or, I mean, divorce or whatever the sin is. Again, I was a fornicator. I was often drunk, so therefore I was a a drunkard. I sinned in many ways, so I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but I'm simply pointing out that the violation of the word of God is sin. We can't get away from it. It's written in the Word of God. If you're a homosexual and you want to be right with God, then repent. If you're a male who's got a marriage license with another male, or you're a female who has a marriage license with another female, in God's eyes, you have to repent. By the law of the land... Right? You'd have to divorce. 
but it wouldn't be a divorce in God's eyes because he only sanctioned the union between a male and a female anyway. He never sanctioned the, the, the union between a male and a male or a female and a female. Again, we're talking about the Word of God. See, it's easy for me, based on what I'm saying, it's easy for me now to become a target of hate, right? And say that I'm full of hate because I believe in the Bible, because I believe what the Word of God says. But I believe in the Bible because I've trusted in the God of the Bible, and I've given my heart to the God of the Bible. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling hateful toward me, or bitterness toward me for what I'm saying, well, there's a couple things you could do. You could just stop listening, right? You could, or you could say, well, maybe God's speaking to me. Maybe God is speaking to me right now, and, and I need to, to change. And this isn't just about a homosexual. It's about a guy that was a drunkard, a fornicator. It's about any of us that all falls short of the glory of God because we all sin. So there is no pointing of fingers here, right? Look inside your own heart, okay? When you hear things, when don't look at the person next to you, okay? If you're a male and a female and you're married, and your marriage isn't what God intended for it to be, where you, the husband, and you, the wife, are one with each other, then you need to repent. And you need to look inside your own heart. Don't look at your husband. Don't look at your wife. Look at your own heart and seriously ask yourself, are you living a life as if, if you're professing to be a Christian, then ask yourself, are you living a life where you've been washed, you've been sanctified by the Spirit of God? and you're living in such a manner? Does the fruit of the Spirit dominate your relationship with your spouse right now? Is there love, in other words? right? If not, then this is not a reason for divorce. Right? It's a reason to repent. When someone says, I'm divorcing because I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore. Well, then... Don't, do not profess. Please do not profess to be a Christian. Do not profess to be sanctified by the Word of God and, and by the Spirit of God because the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is love. Okay? Is, is there joy in your marriage relationship? Is there peace? Is there long-suffering? Is there kindness? Is there gentleness? Is there goodness? Is there faithfulness? Is there self-control? If you look into your own heart and you find that one or none of these things exist, simple solution, repent. Call out to God in repentance and then go to your spouse in repentance as well. Again, no finger pointing here. You're not alone. You're not alone. All have sinned and all must come to repentance. But marriage is a serious thing. Marriage in the way that God intended it is to be honorable. It is honorable in all. As a male and as a female, you must place your marriage at the top of all else. 
It's above your work. It's above your finances. It's above your children in importance. That's how God designed marriage. Again, we fall short. Things happen in life. Divorce has happened to many people. But God is merciful, ready to forgive. But we must be willing to repent of our sin. Marriage is of the utmost importance. And as Jesus was speaking to these Pharisees, his disciples were listening to him as he's speaking to the Pharisees here. And they too got the message loud and clear. And in verse 10, it says, His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man and his wife, it is better not to marry. The disciples are listening to what Jesus is telling the Pharisees and they're saying, Oh my goodness, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. That's crazy, huh? It's better, it's better for a man not to marry a woman than to get married and, and not place the marriage above all else. That's how serious it is. And the disciples understood this. Right? You know, many people in Christianity today think that they can serve in the church serve in the ministry in one way or another, and all the while at home, their marriage is not what God intended it to be. First of all, many churches are ordaining people that are in marriages that God does not ordain. Many churches are today are, are ordaining people that are homosexuals. Things that living against the Word of God. They're not reading the Bible. If they are, they've come up with some sort of way to work around what Jesus is saying here, the male and the female here. Secondly, many males and females that are married are thinking that they can serve in the body of Christ. While, like I said, when they're at home, they're in, they're in disunity. There's discord within their marriage, right? But God isn't fooled. He not only sees what's going on in our homes, more importantly, He sees what's going on in our hearts. And you need to take marriage seriously as God intended it to be. You see, this is all according to the Word of God. So the disciples say this in verse 10, and Jesus didn't deny it. He actually reaffirms the fact that marriage is a very strong commitment. And starting in verse 11, he says, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Now, to put it in its simplest terms here, a eunuch is someone that is committed not to be married. That would be the least I could say about that topic, right? The word actually speaks of being castrated, okay? But, and not to elaborate too much more here, the bottom line here in the context is that Jesus is simply pointing out to his disciples that to remain unmarried is better 
than being married and not being fully committed to the marriage. Marriage is designed for full commitment, right? Not divorce. This is why marriage in the proper biblical context must be taught to our children. First of all, children need to be taught that sex is for marriage only. And secondly, when once you are married, it's a lifelong commitment that cannot be broken in the eyes of God. You know, it's funny. What is the Spanish word for husband and wife? Esposo and esposa, right? But you know what else the word, word esposas means in Spanish? Handcuffs, right? Handcuffs, okay? And I like that fact. Because according to God's word, a man and a woman are bound together in, a, in, in marriage by God. And the only key that he wants to use to unlock those handcuffs is death. Death will do you part. So again, Jesus is simply pointing out here to his disciples that marriage is the strongest of all commitments here on the earth. And if you get married in God's eyes, then while you are alive, there is no reason for divorce except for sexual immorality. But of course, God doesn't want that either. If you've been divorced for any reason or you're thinking about it and you call yourself a child of God, then you need to repent. Does it get any plainer than that, than this, what we're seeing here? God hates divorce. Now, before we close today, I want to interject a few things here. Of course, we know that there have been thousands upon thousands of divorce, divorces, right, throughout the centuries. And with all those divorces, there have been many non-biblical reasons for the divorce. And if I were to try to give an example of all those reasons, I would fall miserably short of truly understanding all the circumstances of life that have caused divorce between a man and a woman. But I'm pretty confident in saying that sin is at the, is at the root cause of all divorce, hardness of heart. Whether both parties were in sin or or whether both parties had a hard heart, or whether just one party was in sin and had a hard heart. And when, when I say sin, I'm, I'm talking about things like self-centeredness can be a reason that people go their separate ways, right? Pride, anger, lust, discontentedness. There are many sins that lead to a relationship separating. And these things can and should be repented of. But some people have been the victim of divorce. That exists as well. Some people are the victim of divorce. And through no desire of their own, they found themselves divorced. They never wanted it. That's not the reason they got married. I don't think anybody gets married with the intention of, hey, let's get married and stay married a few years and then we're going to divorce But the ugliness of this world and the ugliness of sin and the ugliness of our own pride and such 
separates us. Right? God, who is far bigger, far more knowledgeable, knowledgeable, far more merciful than any of us here on this earth, He knows your heart. He knows what's in the heart of men and women. And He knows that in this world, we have tribulation. We have trials and we have hardships. There are things that are just out of our control. And the God of our creation looks at our hearts and he considers the fact that we fall short. And if you found yourself to be the victim of divorce, do not think that you are beyond God's ability to restore you and to heal you. The scriptures here simply teach us, and that's what the Lord is doing here. He's simply teaching us to take marriage seriously, to honor marriage as it is designed to be. And if you have not, you know, and you're hearing this message, if you've not called out to God, you can call out to him and he will restore and heal your heart because He is more than able to do so. And that's what God is looking at. He's looking at your heart and who you are. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life in every aspect of it. Now, on the flip side, there are others of you that are not the victims of divorce, but rather you are the cause of divorce. And if you're hearing this message in your heart, in other words, the Word of God is cutting you deep right now, then now is the time to repent and make things right. Ask for forgiveness, first of all, from God, and then from those that you've offended by your actions. And God will restore and heal you as well. Thirdly, if there are those of you that have twisted God's idea of marriage between a male and a female, and you're listening all the way up to this point, you're still listening, and you're hearing this in your heart right now, then God, by His Spirit, is reaching out to you and calling you to simply repent, turn from your ways, and come unto Him through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I was a fornicator, a drunkard, I had to do the same thing. I had to do all of it. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All we have to do is ask him for forgiveness and he will grant it. Then forgive those who have offended you as well and move on in the power and in the love of the Spirit of God. Remember, again, I keep repeating this, but all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. God has reached out to mankind in love through His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you sense that He is reaching out to you right now? Don't ignore Him. There's only one way that a person can be saved, and that is to repent of and confess their sins, and then to put their trust in Jesus Christ to save them. And you know what? No one is too far gone. The only thing that's going to keep you from it is the hardness of your own heart. You love your sin. You love your life the way it is. You're not going to repent, right? That's going to keep you away from it. But no one 
can ever out-sin the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. No one can ever out-sin the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's covered your sin. The blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, covers every sin you've ever committed in your past. Has this life beat you up? Have your own decisions cast you into a life separated from the Spirit of God? Well, we must come to realize that God's ways are the best ways. He is the creator of all that is. From the beginning, He set everything into motion as to how it should be. From the beginning. It's like Jesus pointed this whole marriage question back to the beginning, male and female. God set everything in motion as to the way it should be. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't know the way through this life without Jesus. There is no truth apart from Jesus. And there is abundant life only in Jesus. So whatever the circumstances of your life are right now, you can just call out to Jesus today. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So is it time for you to repent? Then open your heart to Jesus. Confess your sins. Turn from your ways and and let him in. And when you do, you will find righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost because the Spirit of God will wash you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. There are times when we read your word, Lord, and it just cuts. It just cuts deep, Lord. But your word is always freeing. It all, you, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And that's why you've come, Lord. You are the living word and you've given us the written word, Lord. And it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. And it cuts us deep sometime, Lord. And I pray, God, that there be no hatred in people's hearts that hear a message like this, but that there be brokenness and repentance, Lord. Again, All of us, Lord, we all fall short. This life trips us up and beats us up in so many ways, God. But God, that's why we need a Savior. And you knew this, Father God. And you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. And we thank you for that salvation that is in Jesus through faith in Jesus. And I pray for every heart, for every soul that hears this message, Lord that they would turn their eyes to you, Jesus, and they would come unto you, Lord, and turn from their their ways, Lord, the, the, the ways of sin, and turn unto you the way, the truth, and the life. And God, we thank you for this time again in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.